The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. I'm prepared to end it if I can. Well, do it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should have an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Now you're welcome along to football show. Coming at you. Arsenal, very much top of the table. Their lead is intact. Four ones, uh, wins apiece for Arsenal and Manchester City over the weekend. But that doesn't tell the full story of everything going on. Let's bring in Pat Nevin. Good evening, hello. Uh, good evening, how are you doing, Joe? Yeah, great. Let's start with Graham Potter. In some ways, I blame myself for believing this was going to be any different. So 159 days, 31 games in charge, 11th defeat on Saturday was one too many for the Chelsea hierarchy and they brought the curtain down on Graham Potter and reasonable man that he is he didn't push hard for his full payout he took what's been described as a market rate Uh, so again dignified uh, to a fault to the end the vision which the club painted uh, initially was of a holistic long term approach hence the five year deal for Potter and yet here we are, two managers sacked inside a year. They're doing a damn good imitation of the previous regime, you know. I know, better than an imitation. Much more vicious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, do you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, first of all, don't blame yourself. Uh, blame me because I felt the same way. <laughs> I really kind of hoped they would give it a go and give it plenty of time to see if this model can work. Because we know the other model. The other model tends to work. You throw a hell of a lot of money. A hell of a lot of big name players have already made it, and uh, you'll you'll do quite well. That's how the models work in football generally. Others tweak it a bit, and it works quite well for a while. I give you Brentford, um, certainly Brighton at the moment. But in the longer term, those who spend the most money in the big names, uh, the ones that are already established players, tend to do very very well, and get a big name manager up there as well. And don't worry about over developing, you know, from beneath. And I just wanted to see how this would go if you stuck with it. Now, I fully understand that's, you know, when they come in, uh, they thought to themselves, we are going to be different. And they really wanted to be. I'm convinced they did want to be. Uh, but the pressure tells in the Premier League. And then you start looking at the balance sheet. And the balance sheet doesn't look good if you're not in the Champions League. And if you look a long way for it, and if you're beginning to see the same sort of problems every other week, or maybe every week. Um, Chelsea, at the weekend there, 25 shots at goal, right? Which is an improvement from where they had been before because a bit short shy before that. However, Aston Villa had two shots on target and Aston Villa won 2-0. So that sort of thing has been happening, not to that extent, but a lot of time with Chelsea. And it wasn't really improving that much. So I can understand why they thought, look, we've got to get somebody who's got that little bit more ruthlessness to come in. Uh, I suspect that's what they're going to do. I don't know um, if they decide to get another manager who will go for the holistic approach. Good luck there, because you'll get the same problems again, because if you're going to go for that sort of approach, you're going to have to be very patient. And patience isn't you know five or six weeks or seven months even. Patience is a year or two to build it. Um, you think about it, how many managers really, at the very top level, get that level of patience? I, I actually think Pep got a bit Funnily enough. But apart from that, in the English Premier League, it kind of doesn't happen. And 
I think the owners at Chelsea have just figured that one out. Graham Potter didn't do a good job. He underperformed. Chelsea underperformed, there is no doubt. And yet, I don't blame him in many ways because Graham Potter, uh, he fits the profile of what they're aspiring to be. So they want stable, they want sensible, they want logical, they want to follow a process of improvement. Graham Potter is all of those things. And yet the club behaved like they were nouveau riche on steroids. I mean, on steroids. So just to give you the signings under Todd Bowley, and I'm sure I'm going to forget several. Enzo Fernandez, 107 million sterling. Mudrick, 62 million. Badashale from Monaco, 33 million. Madueki, 30 million from Eindhoven. Gusto from Leon, 26 million. Audrey Santos from Vasco da Gama, 11 million. David Fafana from uh, Molda, 10 million. João Felix on loan. Wesley Fafana, 70 million. Uh, who could forget Cucurella for 55 million sterling and that is set to rise? Uh, one would almost forget about Raheem Sterling, 48 million. Koulibaly, 33 million. Uh, Chukwemeka, 15 million set to rise. Casté for 12 million. Salinia for 12 million. Some bloke called Pierre Emmerich Aubameyang. And on we go. Uh, they behaved like children in a toy shop and yet they got the type of manager whose modus operandi goes against all of that. So in some respects, it's it's easy to blame Potter and he didn't do a very good job. The club could not have misaligned things more acutely if they had tried. If you look back, um, I, mean, I often use David Moyes as one of the examples the amount of time he got at Manchester United. And he was told, you've got a long time, get it right. you know. And of course he didn't. And that's just the way it is. I suspect Potter thought, okay, you, and here's here's the question. You or I got all these young players, right? So we don't even know who was the decision maker in the players. But if you're thinking to yourself, I've got three or four years, okay, I'll deal with the young ones. Some of them will come on quickly, some less so. Enzo, He's fine. He's a good player. It's going to be okay. Um, I'd say Fafana at the back's fine. Badia Show already turning into a decent player. Other than that, and, and, and by the way, not the finished product, and you won't know the answer to them for two or three more years. Um, other than that, the rest of them, no idea. Can't tell you if they're going to be good enough. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have expected to be to, able to tell you if they'd all be good enough. And there's been disappointments in the midst of that as well. Um, if every one of them was the suggestion of Graham Potter, we're all blaming Graham Potter for saying, well, wait a minute, come on. You need to get somebody who wins your games in the short term. Yeah. Uh, but if, if that was the thinking, and it looked awfully clear to me that's what the thinking was, get a whole young side and build them and grow them together. And that takes a little bit of time. So I think that's why there's a lot of sympathy. And there's not a great deal at Stamford Bridge, you know, certainly after the game the other night. There wasn't a huge amount of sympathy because they're used to winning. And there, there was a couple of tactical things that just, felt so wrong you know I mean lots of people have been talking about it but you put Reese James at the right centre back and when in actual fact you've got another centre back you can stick there and you can put Reese James where he's good and that's what made, has made Chelsea good for a while now you know Chilwell one side Reese James the other both of them flying forward so some of the, the tactical decisions you know you thought hmm even the ones that looked interesting weren't working good enough so when you put it all together if you're going to treat them the same way you would treat most managers at Chelsea. And to be fair, quite a few other tr- clubs, you probably have given them to the end of the season. 
then maybe a wee start, but not much more than that because there wasn't there wasn't enough points, there wasn't enough goals. There, you weren't getting enough out of even your other players like Sterling. Hardly anything out of him. Yeah, Mudrick, you know, I've watched Mudrick a lot. He can play. Doesn't look like it at the moment because he's playing. Uh, who knows? Without confidence, without understanding the league, who knows? So there's enough players in there, and as many people have said, I think we all agree there's a good team in there somewhere. There is a good team in there somewhere, but whether that good team is a good team now or whether that's a year or two. So, you know, whether Potter's to blame, um, it's kind of neither here nor there now. I think what Todd Bowley and the rest of the group now know, right, this is hard. This isn't dead simple. This isn't, as you suggest, kids in a sweet shop go and buy all the best and then you walk away really it's a wee bit more complicated than that and uh, you know do you know many owners that come in that haven't been that involved in football they get everything right no they don't but a lot of their mistakes have been pretty costly mistakes Mm. and those uh, tactical decisions that you mentioned there of Potter's they often happen towards the end of a tenure when the brain is scrambled and it probably was, you know, plucked from somewhere at 4am as he stared at the ceiling trying to figure this thing out. You know, he was he was he was frayed increasingly. You could see it physically in his uh, demeanour. So whilst I put the blame 99.9% at the door of Bowley and the Chelsea hierarchy, I understand their decision to pull the plug in Potter now. I mean, it had turned toxic. They had to get rid of him. Yeah, um... I think a few weeks ago I said it'd be interesting to see how brave they are, the kind of cojones they have because they're going to need them. Yeah. And you really need them. With, and it's a classic one. It's when the fans are having a go at the players, it's fine. When the fans are having a go at the manager, it's fine. See, when they start turning towards the board, you're knackered. <laughs> you're yeah. in trouble. And not just the fans, but the media as well saying, well, wait a minute. And as soon as that happens, almost every single time that I can remember in my life, they both think, oh, wait, we don't like that very much. We better go and get another manager. So the next, uh, it's harsh to call it a flat catcher, but the next guy will come in and you won't be thinking about anyone else except the new manager for, what, six, nine months? That will be where the core of your thoughts are. Is he doing the right thing tactically? Is he picking the right players? Is he getting the best out of them? And all that other, everything else you're thinking above that, that'll all disappear again as soon as they get a new manager in. And, and that's what tends to happen with boards. And, and I've watched it. I've been in sideboard rooms when it happens. It's, you know, managers can take that sort of stress a lot of time. Graham didn't look as good as some others, you know, maybe because of the ego isn't quite the same as some others. And the ego you have to have if you're a Chelsea manager is extraordinary. He is a dignified reasonable, admirable man operating in an undignified, unreasonable uh, industry. I, mean, I, I would that, call it business. It's grotesque and illogical and, you know, he's far too accommodating. I mean, his, his entire backroom team are going to stay. Again, he's not looking for his full payout. Uh, mm-hmm. All of these things, I mean, on the one hand, you would say, Jesus, as a human being, that is very admirable, but in the shark-infested waters of uh, football, you can kind of see why he almost got eaten up and there, the leaks have started, the leaks do tend to start so um, word seems to be players after a bad 45 minutes would sit in the dressing room anticipating in trepidation Thomas Tuchel kicking down the door and telling them those standards have not been met etc and they anticipated similar from Potter and he would come in and it was very 
pleasant and uh, again that's on them in so many respects that's on them but it, it allowed standards to slip a touch where do you think Potter goes from here like how damaging is this uh, for his his credentials will he get a Champions League type job of a, a club of Chelsea stature again in the short term Pat do you think does he want it <laughs> I'm not oh, sure really? I'm honest yeah. not sure if you looked at somewhere if Southampton went down or Leicester went down or something like that you know it you would say, yeah, he's a good manager. He can work well at a certain level. And certainly without that pressure on every single week, I was going to say every week, every three or four days, you know, he's shown that he's a quite a very, very capable manager. Um, by the way, the, the backroom staff staying is kind of odd because you know that's not going to last. <laughs> that will stay until the new manager comes in and then he'll decide who he wants. That's that's the way that one works. Um, but the, the fact that he's kind of liked within the game, that he has got some success behind him, you know, in certain areas. Um, but I think when he takes the next club, he doesn't want one that's expecting you to win everything right away. He's wanting to build again. That's what he wants. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did it and he did it well. And like yourself, I'm, you know, I want the good guys to do well. But it's a kind of... A, a lot of people who would be very good managers aren't good managers or don't go in for management because they know they've not got the right personality for it. You need to believe you've got that sort of incredible, extraordinary self-belief. By the way, going back to that point you made about um, you, know, you know that Tuchel's going to come in and he's going to have a major sense of humour failure. Um, that, that's not modern management techniques, right? <laughs> People can glare at you if you talk about that now. I mean, if uh, I don't want to sound too woke. And in fact, it's impossible for me to sound woke. Um, but, you know, people will say you should never do that. That's not how you get the best out of people. But we kind of know it is sometimes. <laughs> Listen, it is. <laughs> we do. Yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think Klopp or Pep or Tuchel are coming into dressing rooms when standards haven't been met and taking it well. No, no absolutely. And you're right. And they saw the way that he worked and they thought, well, that's a, a modern way. And if you look almost an American way, that's the way that they work to get the best out of people. Um so that's a different model, it's, uh, but it's also a different culture. The culture in football is quite extraordinary. And, and if you've been in whatever, basketball or baseball or whatever, it, it, may, it will be incredibly you know, difficult. But there was some classic lines where a lot of people have said that, you know, if you have a bad time in the league over in America and any of the top games, the gridiron game, you name it, you know, it's OK. Just play all the same games next year. Mm. Don't do that here. No. You're relegated. <laughs> You're in trouble. So it's, it's a different dynamic. You can't afford it. And the dynamic is always so tight because, you know, so few teams are seen as successful. You must be top four if you're one of the major players or else it's a, it's a stinker of a season. And at the moment, looking where Newcastle are going, looking where Manchester United should be going with the money they get, Man City, Arsenal get better all the time, Liverpool will come back. I understand why they're thinking, whoa, we could be left behind here for a few years. And if you're left behind for a few years, everyone knows you don't get Champions League money. And suddenly that financial fair play it becomes a bit of a headache. Well, just a last one on Chelsea. Under uh, previous iterations, be that Roberto Di Matteo or Avram Grant or even Tuchel, a manager will come in, pick up the pieces and Chelsea will find themselves in a European Cup final. They, they, they have that, that curious aspect to their DNA and they have talent. I mean, you just can't spend that much money, even that stupidly and not end up with some talent. So they have talent. A new manager could come in and make sense of it and, and tell 20 of the squad you're not involved in training for most of the time. Uh, that is all very possible if they get the right man. They have Real Madrid in about 10 days' time. 
Yes, and I'm looking forward to that game because uh, if Chelsea play the way they've been playing just now against the way Real Madrid have been in Europe, particularly at Liverpool, uh, Anfield, you think, oh dear, what a shame. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a wee bit. You're going to be look, watching through the fingers at that point in time. But you're right. I mean, if, if and these are mighty ifs, right, uh, they start now, but see, they start finding the goal. It's still a big if because there's no absolute natural goal scorer there. If you can get the best out of one or two, like Mudrick starts playing the way he's capable of playing. But more importantly, you need to be able to get the best out of Rhys James, who's in and out with injuries. Still, he's still missing games, still in and out, still problematic for him to get back to where he was before. Then, if you manage to get N'Golo Kante, who just had a little moment back on the pitch, and remember, that's like having an extra man on the pitch. That's like having 12 men in the pitch. Still big if. It's another huge if. The other huge if is you need Thiago Silva back there. Now, if you put him back in this, this centre-back position and a couple beside him, yeah, you have a look at Chelsea's numbers this season with the goals they give away. They don't give away many goals. Very, very few. It was unusual to give away two at the weekend there. So if you're a team that gives away very, very few goals and you're in a knockout competition... Yeah, you've, you've got a chance. You've absolutely got a chance. But it's still an outside chance. And uh, I think it was only seven Fs there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers continues the record-breaking season on the managerial sacking front. The previous record being 10 managers sacked in a single season. We're now at 13 as of this weekend. So Rodgers goes via mutual consent. The Crystal Palace game at the weekend made it seven games and no win. His contract did take him up to 2025. He's 50 years old, Brennan Rogers, and I think has generally uh, proven himself as a coach. His next step could be interesting. Something funny with Leicester. I, I, I don't know to what extent Leicester will be held against him. He, he was speaking many, many months ago about being unhappy with the makeup of the squad. There seemed to be some financial fair play concerns as well. They're going to lose uh, Tielemans, who's out of contract in the summer, and Madison, it seems, is going to be sold in the summer as well. So I'm not sure what the medium-term outlook is for Leicester. But what about Rodgers? Where might he pitch up, do we think, Pat? I think Rodgers might be in a better position than Leicester at the moment. Um, with the amount of uh, clubs that, that change their managers so quickly now, he, he will not be average. Oh, he won't be lacking for offers really quite soon. Um, you know, it takes a little bit of time off and sets and watches it for a wee while. You talk about the the massive numbers of sackings this year. I, I think a major reason for that is the weirdness of this season. You know, from you know from Palace downwards. You know, that's a lot of teams that are panic stricken, absolutely panic stricken. And and of course, if you're one of the big clubs, you're looking up, and if you're not in the top four, you're panic stricken too. It's a really you know, it's always stressed and it's always pressure. But at the bottom this season. It's, it's more extreme than usual. So if you're losing 10, 12, 14, maybe by the end of the season, managers every season, Brendan Rodgers is going to be okay. He can sit there and wait for the next one because it's amazing how good you suddenly become when you've been out of work for a wee while. You know, people are having a, a, a kind of a sideways glance at you. I mean, quite, quite a lot of people, people forget this now, were questioning Thomas Tuchel the way he was going near the end of his Chelsea time. You know, and obviously he's a top manager and to be honest you look at him if he walked back into Chelsea instead of going where he's gone just now you say he'd probably do a good job there but it's amazing you took a few months out and these managers we know it's a merry-go-round and he will get another opportunity um, but I think he can sit with his, his feet up for a wee while and just wait for it I think he'll get another Premier League one 
I, I absolutely do. I think he'll get another Premier League one. He just needs to wait till the right one comes along, and that probably won't be very long. Maybe next season. Because mm. I saw him link with Spurs. I mean, that is that the kind of level he might pitch at? Yeah. Do you think? Or you know, is that a touch? He elevated? might think he would want to get Chelsea <laughs> because he's got a story there. But it's it's you know anything can happen here because the amount of my, sort of positions that need to be filled that looks as if they're going to be filled or might be changed again next year again. It is extraordinary. I mean, I, I do think there are managers out there that sit and think, yeah, why wait? You know, Pochettino decided to wait a wee while. You know, what, what's the panic? They're not skin. They can wait for the right one as opposed to just dive in and panic. And time's gone past some managers. If You know, if you've done a couple of jobs at that level and done okay with winner up, I think a lot of people just say, right, okay, his time will come again. Um, and that's just the way it works. Absolutely just the way mm. it works. And it's kind of strange though because... You do want people to take the odd chance with somebody out with the normal. But then, isn't that what Chelsea did? Reported to some degree, and it kind of didn't work. So the, he's one of the trusted ones because he's got history with Celtic. And yeah. Liverpool had good times with Leicester as well. He's, he's got good history. He'll be back. I do want to talk to you about the actual football as well. So we'll do that in just a moment. Pat Nevin is staying with us. Our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Back with Pat Nevin in just one moment. Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, crappy quiz and a slight tangent. World Cup B is growing on me. (laughs) As a name. Subscribe to the Off The Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk. You're very welcome, Mike. Pat Nevin is with us. We're reviewing the Premier League weekend that was. We've dealt with the managerial sackings. Let's go to where the weekend started. Manchester City 4, Liverpool 1. There are times we uh, bemoan Pep's tinkering. And there are other times where it's just bloody interesting to watch and it seems to work very well too. So if people miss the game, you can uh, expand on all this. But in the main, it was for a lot of the game, Ake and Ruben Diaz and Akanji as a back three. John Stones was in midfield, although he would venture into the defensive line as as well. But he spent plenty of time in midfield next to Rodri and it was sort of like a square with Stones, Rodri... De Bruyne, Gundogan. It was Mares on the right-hand side. It was uh, Jack Grealish, who says, I really feel myself again. And he was quite brilliant, it must be said, on the left-hand side. And it was Alvarez through the middle, given the absence of Haaland. And Liverpool couldn't cope with this. Whatever way this all, uh, you know, swirl it together in a pot worked for Man City. It was really uh, lovely to watch. They were as fluid, maybe, as they've been in some time. Yeah, it's... I was trying to think, was it a three... Two, four, one, or was it three yeah. in a box and two wide and one up front? And Stones, where the hell are you playing? Sorry, <laughs> where? But he does that now and again. He gets a player. And there's been a couple of ones that have done it, different ones. And Jenko did it for a while, didn't he? Yeah. And Cancelo did it for a while. And you think, I don't really know where you're playing. You know, and it's, I mean, it's easy to say that, right? But then the play, because this is old stuff, this is Cruyff stuff, this is, you know, total football, right? You go and adapt and you push into areas where you think the space will be developed, right? How do you know that beforehand? <laughs> How do you know where that's going to develop? And does Pep kind of know that against it? Has he watched the team and said, right, this is where the weakness is? This is something a wee bit simpler. Is it 
they're all pretty good footballers and they're learning how to play brilliantly with each other and always want the ball and can be completely adaptable. And yeah, you know, it might be about three one week and it might be a four one week and it might be slightly adapted. But the fact that he's brought newer ideas with not half positions, but double positions, you know, that it's, it's now almost accepted that your left back actually might spend half the time in midfield now. Mm. That, that's Whereas it wouldn't have been considered two or three year, years ago in the English game. And it's Pep that's been doing that. And I'm watching others trying it, having a go at it. Funnily enough, who was the f- team that did it? Um, Sheffield United tried it. Remember, they tried it when the centre-backs kept on going in the midfield and overlapping all the yeah. time. Now, that's a big jump in it from <laughs> Sheffield United to Man City. But you can see what the thinking is. And a lot of the coaches talk about it because, you know, there's coaching theory going on. They're all learning it. They're all uh, looking at it all the time. But A, brave enough to do it. Uh, in a major game and be not just doing it for the sake of it, doing it because you know it will work in a certain situation. And and it was. It was even going a goal down, it very quickly became very obvious that oh, wait a minute, they're utter, utterly dominant and that completely the first it was the first two goals I think were the classic Manchester City goals. Just get to the byline. Mm. That's that's what you do. Manipulate the situation, get roughly to the byline or beyond the fullbacks. And the opposite side and cross it. It's, it's, and it's it's the hardest ball. Everybody knows it's, that's not new stuff. That that's the hardest ball. But they manipulate that situation more often and better than anyone else. And it's usually because they get these overloads. So people get dragged all over the place. And because of it, clever enough players like the Brown or whatever to play that final pass into that area where you finally get the cut back. They're in, incredibly hard to stop. But he yeah, also is getting the best out of every single player, getting the best out of Stones now. Who'd have thought? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought you're going to get that? The Grealish one is no surprise whatsoever. Absolutely none. You know, it's taken a long time to do it. And Pep's just sitting there going, yeah, I did this with Raheem Sterling. I did this with others. You know, I'll, I'll develop it. I'll tell them what they need to do. And when they finally click and stop doing what they think they should be doing and take the base for what he's telling them, and then allow themselves to grow out from it. It's brilliant to see it. It's, I mean, I'm not surprised at it. I'd have been surprised if it didn't work, actually, yeah. knowing the quality that Grealish has got and knowing that Pep can get inside people's heads. It is a wonderfully interesting time to watch football. Like, it's a privilege to sit down. And I, I found myself thinking on Saturday and watch this football genius have the courage and, and have the job security to experiment in this way. And as you said, I would love to know, and it's the one thing we never know, uh, because they're not going to uh, give detailed explanations of their plans pre-game for obvious reasons. But you would love to know if that game transpired the way Pep envisaged. That he, he he spotted several things in Liverpool and he said, ah, I've just got just, got just the thing in my back pocket. Boom, boom, boom. This is how it's going to work. And, and as you said, I mean, we can all review it. We can all understand it a little bit in real time and, and, and post-game. But to conjure it up and think of it and, and know it's the right thing to do, I mean, he is, in, in my lifetime, I, I can't speak of Cruyff, but, but nobody, absolutely nobody, has had the impact on the game that Guardiola has had. Yeah, well, he's, he'll say himself, Cruyff's ideas, you know, around about that 19, early 70s thing was the base of all this. And then what he does, I think, was it Xavi or Iniesta said, um, Cruyff built the cathedral, we just paint it, right? And it's kind of, that's the concept of it. Like, that's the ideas now do things with it. And that's, and Pep's gone and taking up mm. all that sort of stuff further as well. So that's, 
and and he has taken it a lot further. Yeah, Pe- Pep has surely built a fairly hefty extension to that cathedral, no? A couple of domes in the end, I think. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I would, I would think so. I would really think so. No, I would, no, no, absolutely, I would agree with that. It's to take nothing away from him, but you know where the, you know where the root is, and then the tree can flourish, right? So that, that that's fine. That's all good. That um, the the only way of finding out and answering the question you you're asking just now is. You don't find it out with the players just now because they shouldn't be, be telling you. If they're telling you, they're wrong to tell you. The people that have worked with them before, see, the giveaway phrase is always the same. It's, just, it's so often said about these types of managers, and there's damn few of them. He told me what was going to happen, and it happened yeah. in the game. And if that sort of manager and the players are kind of gobsmacked, I didn't know the space was going to be there, but he told me that's where it would be and go there. And it happens. And the players just think they're... <laughs> spooky, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the amount of people that have said that that have worked with Pep in the past, it's extraordinary how many have felt that about him. That he kind of knows the oppositions where their strengths and weaknesses will be, and also, you know, the, the element of surprise because what you do is when you set up against Manchester City just now, you set up with a certain thing in mind, and then they go and do something completely different. And it, by the way, half, half an hour's gone, and you've maybe just about figured out what they're doing. And by the way, the game's lost at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and not only for, lost by goals, but lost by people looking around saying, well, we can't get a kick here, we can't move, we don't know who are marking. Um, so keeping people guessing is... But there's no simple thing to do it. He's, yeah, he's, he's kind of slightly wizard-like when he does it that mm. way. But like everyone else, he, he does make mistakes. But there's far, far fewer of them. And of course, everyone thinking before the game, well, Holland's not playing. You know, it's going to be difficult. <laughs> and it was just... Kind of ridiculous. So they, it looks brilliant. And I'm, I was at the other game. I was watching that um, in the bowels of the stadium at Arsenal when that was going on. And uh, it was very funny to kind of, no, sorry, I'll, I'll rephrase it. It was very upsetting when, you know, <laughs> when Liverpool scored at the start and the place erupts and people are all excited. By the time the second goal and the place, the press room with anybody who was Arsenal mended was empty. He just walked out because they knew. It. Mm. It, that's not coming back. Yeah, and they, they totally understood what was happening to put a massive amount of pressure on Arsenal. But uh, fortunately for Arsenal, they kind of lived with it. But you know, th- there is certainly a bit of the Peps and Arteta as well. So it's it's a brilliant battle between. Yeah, the two. no, it's super interesting. I'll come to Arsenal now. I guess the other obvious point to make with City is when yeah ally the wizardry of Pep with the technical craft he has at his disposal. It's it's extra special. Gundogan fits the bill of unsung hero in so much as multi-Premier League winning uh, German international footballer can. But I mean, you know, in a glimpse, his awareness, his touch, his pass to Grealish in the build-up for the first goal. How highly do you rate him? Yeah, I've talked to you in the past many times about how much I love David Silva, certain players in Xavi's and Iniesta's. And of course, good knowing he doesn't look as smooth as them a lot of the time. But he does the same things a lot of the time, and he's also got a brilliant goal scoring record. Remember, the season, a couple of seasons ago, it was just unbelievable. He was the go to man, uh, and he has been extraordinary. I think, again, one of those players where I'd, I'd watched him before a bit before he came to City and thought, Yeah, it was all right, mm. he was okay, you know, he just didn't jump out at you in any particular way. He was, he was good, yeah, and he'd do some good things, and yeah, quality player, but then he turns up and you, know, you could sit him on your bench you know, for three weeks and he'll come back in and be the best player on the team sometimes. And it's to have that, to walk on if you know, De Bruyne is having a quieter day 
and then he walks on. You just think it's, it's everywhere. And he's, I think he's a player that's, he seems to me an intelligent player, a very intelligent player. And in many ways, he is the perfect one for Pep because Pep will say, right, I need this. And you know that he's going to take it and you know that he's going to understand it. And he's also got that that final millisecond ball that yeah. all the best Manchester City players have got. If the pass is on and it's the right pass, he'll make it. And it's, it's a funny one because he's got that, you know, and we know De Bruyne has got that. Mares has got that when he's in the kind of right mood for it. Watching Grealish, he's beginning to get that now and he didn't necessarily have that before. And the amount of players that are growing into being able to do that, it's extraordinary. It just sounds the simplest thing in the world. Mm. But that was the thing that really annoyed me early on with Foden a couple of times, that what a player, but you're still sometimes making the wrong decision and I don't know why you are. But they've just been cut out one by one by one by one. They were cut out, and Foden now he's up there with the same with with Gundogan as well. So at the moment, yeah, what you got to say, the Arsenal are ahead of them is absolutely incredible. Well, indeed, absolutely so, so, so City have their mojo back. Have they left it too late? Might be the question. You mentioned Gerard Arsenal four, Leeds one. I remember after the Reese Nelson winner against Bournemouth. We uh, talked about the drama and, and the sense of uh, mood. Could it be our year? It's starting to feel like our year. But the caveat was they could do without having to go to the emotional and physical well too often, especially over the next couple of weeks. So since that Reese Nelson winner, they uh, dispatched a Fulham 3-0. That game was over at half time. They beat Crystal Palace 4-1. They uh, went out of Europe blessing in disguise the ultimate cliche around that one and now leads uh, 4-1 at home so that's just what the doctor uh, ordered what's your sense um, given that you were there of of where they are as they they keep pace more than keep pace with City now well the last one I was at was the Brentford one and that was tense but the thing that jumped out at me was the fans They, they were extraordinary you know the way they got behind them and I was expecting to see a really fluid fluid performance from Arsenal against the Leeds team who expected to come out and be, you know, quite gung-ho. It was nothing like that. Honestly, Leeds was so... I was so upset for by them because, you know, they kept the better players, you know, that they needed. They kept them off the pitch for a large part of the game. Um, not, they were defensive, but they broke the numbers sometimes, so give them the due for that. But Arsenal were there for the first time in a while. That was the first 45 minutes was by a distance the weakest I've seen Arsenal this season. Okay. They just, they were slow, they were sluggish, they weren't understanding or working with each other. They actually looked like a team that didn't really believe that much, you know, which is a stunning thing to say for a team that just walked away with what looks like on the outside uh, an easy win. Now, they were much better in the second half. Yes, the manager's got into them a bit, he's adapted a bit, and it always helps when you get a lead. And as soon as they got a decent lead, you know, the second goal, it's a piece of cake, you know, just walking apart for them really after that. But this sounds as if I'm having some sort of dig at Arsenal. Exactly the opposite. They've done the other thing, i.e. They've, they've had that emotional stuff at the end of games. They've had to chase it. They've, you know, battled and got a wee bit of luck, but kept on going to the end. They've done that. They've done what you've said, which has had a couple of easy games and, and cruised it. And now they're doing the old not playing well, but still winning quite mm, easily. Mm. That every single point of it you want to look at for a team that's actually capable of continuing to do that and win the league is actually there. And again, everyone's saying it. it's a cliche. They're not in Europe. 
look at all the games that Manchester City have got in comparison. Um, it's it's still looking to me like um, I need to eat quite a lot of humble pie because I thought Manchester City would catch them. But every week that goes by, you just think a little bit less. And just at the weekend, I was at the Scotland game um, against Spain, obviously, last week. Mm. And uh, Tierney was unbelievable. He was just absolutely extraordinary. I mean, one of the best players in the park, better than most of the Spanish players. However much they said Scotland are rubbish, <laughs> which made me smile a wee bit. Um, and he can't get a game. He can't get a game for Arsenal. He is in phenomenal form and he cannot get a sniff of a game for Arsenal. He came on for sub the last five minutes. That tells you one hell of a story. Saka, who's their go-to player at the moment for scoring goals, didn't start the game, didn't seem to make much of a difference. He came on after a while, little impact in the game, didn't make any difference. Like Manchester City, they seem to have a few players, not maybe as many City, but they've got players who can step up to the plate when they need to. Struggling now to see where the real weakness is. Even, you know, we've you've not got a centre forward for a long time. Having to put Dross out there yeah. doesn't seem to make any difference. So at the moment, it's it's looking very, very good for Arsenal. There was a wee bit of nervousness, by the way, I have to say, in the first half with some Arsenal fans. But I love, I like watching football games. I also love watching crowds and listening to crowds because they're all got their different dynamics. And the Arsenal dynamic has completely changed because it was so quiet there for so long. Mm. And all this season, it's been building and building. It's great. The last few games have been great. And in this game, it went really quiet for a period. And you thought, oh, don't, don't do that. You need to get behind the team. You need to lift them. Honestly, I hadn't got a sentence out when I was doing the commentary. And there they were singing again, shouting and getting on. Now, really lifting it again, as if they fully understood what was needed at that point in time. So, as again, talking cliches, but... It's completely true. Cliches are there for a reason. Sure. It's a gen. True. You it, need to find something. It's, it's, it's an interesting couple of days coming up. So if you take it as 26th of April against Manchester City as looming large in the Arsenal imagination, they have Anfield on Sunday, half past four, live game, the type of game Liverpool in their strange up and down predicament will get up for, uh, as they did against Manchester United. Now, Liverpool do play against Chelsea tomorrow. Best of luck to you if you've got a strong feeling about a form line there for either, but that's where they are. So Arsenal have Anfield on Sunday. They have West Ham away with the week's rest in between. They have Southampton at home and then they'll have City on the Wednesday, uh, Wednesday 26th. And then they'll have Chelsea three days later. Presumably Chelsea might have sorted themselves out by then. So, you know, it's not easy um, by any means. Have you any great sense of what Liverpool are going to pitch up this week? We sort of brush by them in the City talk. I'm afraid Jurgen Klopp doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you haven't got a clue. Because you look at the quality they've got, they had the big opportunity. I mean, it was Manchester City. But their stats off the top of my head was uh, four shots, one on target. You know, that, this is Liverpool we're talking about here. This is a team which was has been phenomenal for three or four years, maybe a bit more than that. And they just, when they don't have a good day, they have a stinker. And it's, they look tired, they look disorganised sometimes the the link-ups and flows by with Gakpo, you know, one minute it can be brown, next minute it can be non-existent. You just don't know. You have no idea which one's going to turn up. They do seem to be able to lift themselves weirdly, because you ask somebody to guess that one, but 7-0, Man United, seriously? You know, you just, you have no idea, no concept of it. The one thing about Liverpool is they tend to, the cop's quite good at lifting them, you know, and that, that helps a wee bit so you know when they're at home game it certainly 
lifts them. And there's enough good players there that are capable on their day of beating anyone. But it's just, you'd say it's such an interesting season. And watching Manchester United yesterday, you know, been excited for them for a while. And then watched them yesterday and went, what? Mm. <laughs> Where'd that come from? You know, like, disinterest all the way through the team. You know, just Newcastle aren't that great. They're okay. And, you know, they're, they're fighting and battling a bit. But I, w- I have to say, Liverpool, Man United, you know, everybody out with, you know, in fact, I, I'll put Brentford in there, Brentford, Brighton in there as well. You know what you're kind of going to get from those four-ish? See what everyone else can do just about anything. And Liverpool are in that, absolutely in that. Yeah. It's amazing, really. Let's finish on Newcastle 2, Manchester United 0. Or 4-0 on the XG, Pat, because uh, it was that kind of a game. Newcastle up to third. They're level on points with Manchester United. They have far superior goal difference than Manchester United. They haven't finished above them in the league since 1977. So a touch of history at play. Uh, This was absolute dominance. I saw Jonathan Wilson in The Guardian at the stat. Manchester United two and a half times more likely to lose a game when Casemiro does not play than when he does. Two and a half times more likely to lose. Uh, I saw Danny Murphy on Match of the Day last night make the point that some of this is very much on the Ten Hag setup. So he had Scott McTominay, fresh from his uh, heroics for Scotland, uh, of course. Uh, he was the furthest of Manchester United's middle three for most of the game. He was trying to step up on, on Bruno Gamirez. And they had Bruno Fernandes and Marcel Sabitzer as the two sixes together. On uh, Sean Longstaff was uh, Bruno Fernandes and Sabitzer was looking after Willock. Uh, Murphy was making the point. Bruno Fernandes and Sabitzer did not see danger did not work in tandem. Uh, McTominay uh, might be the more defensive-minded. He's further up the pitch on, on, on Gamirage. They did switch later on, McTominay and, and Bruno Fernandes. But nonetheless, uh, Murphy was making the point that that setup uh, was completely overrun and, and, and a fair degree of blame there has to fall on uh, Ten Hag. United are only three points better off than this time last year for all the, you know, the headline news and the headline improvement. Yeah. Um, to be fair, it, it it was it was a mess. And you, how much can you say in Ten Hag? He's not really. I don't know if he's even has his real team yet. I honestly don't think it is. I think he's, he needs to get you know that summer under his belt, getting the ones in that he wants to get in, and the ones out that he wants to get out. Um, the McTominay one, I understand the initial concept of it. For Scotland, I was at both the games. Right, he scores four goals in a game and a quarter. Right, <laughs> so. You understand why you're going to stick him up there a wee bit, you know, push him forward and see if you can get anything. But you do need someone, you know, in that base area. Sabitzer was just nothing much happening there. He wasn't destroying anything. He wasn't killing it. He wasn't seeing it. Bruno, that's not that's not his play anyway. No. That's not his game to go back there. He was in one of his slightly stroppier moods anyway. Um, oddly enough, um, if you're going to try and work hard in the midfield, you're kind of hoping your front three, as it were, and I know they played a 4-2-3-1, but your front three, your two wingers and your striker are going to do a, a job for you. Um, I remember thinking after about 25 minutes, they should bring Veghorst on. He really ought to. Oh dear, he is on. He never got a sniff, but then he wasn't getting any good service. Um, Anthony was having one of those days, you know. Uh, Pat, Pat, is Anthony not having one of those seasons? Like, what, what does this guy bring to the party, really? Um, I, I'm not a huge fan. So I haven't been a huge fan. He has got skill. He does the same trick. 
the vast majority of the time. Um, he does the same thing. And now and again, he's one of those players you will always remember the goals because he cuts in and he slows them in at the top corner and they look brilliant. But see one of them goals, they, they count the same as a tap-in. Yeah. Right? So at the end of the season, let, let's see how many you've created and let's see how many you've scored. Um, certainly, he's, he's playing against a defender I thought would be made for him, um, but he was bullied out of the game. There are a couple of nice touches now and again, but he, I have to say, I, I think he has to get somebody to tell him to start adapting his game a little bit. Um, in the Premier League, there's, there's good, A, there's good defenders, but there's good technicians. They'll say, right, this is what he does. Mm. This is how we stop him. Start doing something different. The more concerning was Marcus Rashford because he had that face on again. You know, the one they had earlier um, before Ronaldo left where he looked a bit fed up with things and I'm not in a very good place just now, etc. I wonder if... I immediately wondered, oh, he wants to be playing up front. (laughs) He doesn't want to be playing out wide just now. Maybe there was something in that. Maybe that was part of the reasoning behind it as well. Um, but the whole... I, I can't think of any of that five that we're talking about, five or six, you know, mid to front, who actually had a decent game. I'm certainly McTominay. I'm, I'll give you I'm biased anyway, because I, but he'll put a shift in. Yes, he will. And he'll work hard for you. And we know he'll always do that. Um, but did anyone else have a, a particularly good game of that group? No, absolutely not. And watching the problems that Dallow was having at right back, you know, against San Maximan, who is half the player he was last season, but was still good enough to cause Dal all sorts of problems, uh, was extraordinary. Yes. I have to say I was surprised how strappy Bruno Fernandes was hot on the heels of Anfield. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because when you're missing, with Fred not being there and you've not got, well, you've not got the main man sitting behind you, Casemiro, you've got to step up a wee bit and, you know, almost act like pure captaincy material and say, right, come on, lads, get together. And it, it didn't, it was, he wasn't looking at anyone else. He was just inside his own head a lot of the time. But, it, you know, teams can have that. They, they had a, a bad day at the office, you know, from back to front. And it was it was quite surprising, though, because it's not really been like that too often sort of recently. And he'll put that down to that one bad day. We'll find out. You know, soon enough, if it is that one off, but yeah, I would say that's quite concerning. Start, for my it's starting to be a bad month, it's starting to be a yeah. bad month now. It, and again, it could be because you get lifts at certain points in time, as long as he sees that coming. Because there's good players there, you, you can get more out of Rashford, you know, you, you need to get more of them. That period of time when he was scoring every single game, remember, it's not that long ago, he's had a wee bit of an injury, he's come back, um, but you need to get him firing again if he's firing again. He's dragging the whole team forward because he's, he's a danger in behind. Every time he gets the ball, you, you think he's capable of scoring. Um, to, and then suddenly everybody's 20 yards up and it's, it's an easier game to play. When that's not happening and you're just basically defending all the time and you've got people who are... Bruno's not a great defender. Anthony's not a good defender. Rashford wasn't going back to defend. And you're... I mean, how good is Sabitzer as a defender? Yeah, how good is he generally? He looks a bit... He doesn't stick out as being not at that level, but he certainly doesn't stick out as having any impact at that level. He's, like, uh, invisible. Um, harsh though it may seem, I would agree with you, I don't think he's going to be a world-class player. <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's a stick in plaster for a period of time. Yes. And, and yeah. that's what it feels like. And sometimes, in extremists, you need to get somebody in who do a job for you. And he looks like a, a kind of a job player, 
problem is due to injuries, etc. He's been asked to do a little bit more than that, and uh, you know, again, decent age player, but not the Manchester United standard of player, and certainly not a player who, in a struggling team, is going to lift him. Mm. Okay. Uh, we will have an interesting conversation next week. We'll see how Arsenal go at Anfield, Liverpool, Chelsea tomorrow. Pat, thanks so much. Pleasure as ever. Cheers. Pat Nevin with us on the line there on Monday Night Football here and Off the Ball. Brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Watch every single live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk.